Hi, and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 74, See It, Say It, Sorted, an episode on raising concerns. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. And for this episode, I'm glad to be joined by Anisha. Anisha, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Anisha. I'm a junior doctor in F1 and working in South Thames. Cool, awesome. Always nice to have you on. And I'm also delighted to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Natasha Malik. Natasha, would you like to introduce yourself and speak a bit about what you do? Hi, Pat. So my name is Natasha, and essentially I was previously an anaesthetist uh, and then left in my regs and became a general practitioner. And I now work as a portfolio GP with um, Health Education England, UCL, and Imperial Medical Schools, and I previously worked with the Royal College of General Practitioners. Oh, wow. That is quite a portfolio that you have. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Not at all. It's a pleasure. So medical students and young doctors may encounter unprofessional behaviours in the workplace sometimes, and from observing our colleagues when going on placements, uh, we may accept it as part of the medical culture. But speaking up is important. Some high-profile reports such as the Ockenham Report and the Miss Staffordshire Inquiry demonstrate that failure to raise concerns could have detriment, uh, detrimental effects on patient safety. So I thought in this episode we could talk about raising concerns and the considerations that medical students and young doctors may have when it comes to speaking up. So I guess just to kick off the episode, um, Anisha, now that you've been working as a junior doctor for nearly a year now, have you ever had any situations where you felt like you had to speak up or raise concerns? Yeah, I don't think I've explicitly had a situation where I'm worried about a patient and I, you know, immediately I'm worried about compromising their health or their safety. But I think primarily the job of a junior doctor is essentially to raise concerns we go around Mm. assessing patients and because we're not really qualified or fully registered yet we essentially have to raise our concern and summarize it Mm. put it in an s-bar format and then deliver that to a registrar consultant so i'd say essentially your entire job as an f1 is to raise concerns so there should already be a culture instilled in us to be on the lookout for things that are unsafe so yes I have raised concerns before, um, clinically. Um, mm. But again, that's not the kind of typical way we talk about raising concerns. Yeah, similarly. Um, I mean, I'm still a medical student, so I'm not working as a junior doctor yet. But I remember going on placement and I was just observing a, a healthcare practitioner taking bloods from a patient. But um, this person was taking bloods without gloves. And, you know, after the procedure, I asked the healthcare practitioner, um, practitioner um, well, should we be wearing gloves when we're taking bloods? Um, but then this person said, we've always done it like this here. It's so much easier to take bloods without gloves. And then at that situation, I just felt, way too junior to keep going on about it so I just Mm. didn't really continue talking to this person and like kind of questioning how they were practicing Uh, but then I it didn't really sit well with me so I raised this with my tutor and then my tutor said um, this was the right thing to do to speak to him about it Um, and yeah Natasha I know you did some research on attitudes of junior doctors and medical students towards raising concerns is this something that you observe as well? Oh 100% Um, I think particularly in the example that you've given. So yes, the research that 
I think you're referring to that we did was specifically towards medical students, so yourself, Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was more because there's so much out there on the cultural organisation of the NHS and raising concerns. And we felt that there was a real gap in looking at things from a medical student perspective. And I think, to be fair, Nisha, you mentioned it, that really the whole concept of raising concerns needs to start from the beginning. And that really is at medical school. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the, the concept was born. But um, credit really to Luke Johnson, who's the, the first named author on the paper. He was actually a later years medical student um, who experienced a concern, raised it, and then as a result of that um, came across a multitude of different ideas about the process, his own experience of going through it, and the the sort of curriculum and guiding people through the process as well. And so that's really where the the whole idea for the paper came from, from him. And um, absolutely, yes, we have encountered that. Um, We've encountered the the actual lack of knowledge of a process of, you know, well, I I know that I should raise a concern, but actually, how do I do that? Um, The lack of support. Um, Is there anyone actually there? Now, you mentioned you had a really supportive supervisor, and I'm really glad to hear that. Um, And often people need that, um, because when you're uncertain, you need the supportive pillars around you to make you certain and and carry on down that path. But Mm. fundamentally, what we found also was that people weren't always aware of when to raise a concern. And something that you said was, well, I saw this and in my gut, I knew it was wrong that they didn't have gloves on because of my training at medical school. Mm. But, you know, is this actually part of the NHS culture? And that's something that really came out of the paper that the more students were exposed to this clinical environment, the less they felt that they should be raising a concern, which was just eye-opening for us because Mm really that's a complete paradox of what we want to happen we want them to be more exposed and then more inclined to raise a concern mm. but it was that you said nhs culture um that people felt wrapped up in um and and felt oh well actually is this just something that we should just adapt and be a part of so the ex- example that i gave earlier one thought that i had in my mind was like oh there's probably got like a one-off thing um it probably won't ever happen again so i mean should i wait until i see it to happening again or should i just raise it as and when i see it happening mm, and and i think that's a really really bad point in one of the points um in the paper we we talk about the barriers to raising a concern mm. and we grouped it as three different components so comprehension conviction and courage so the idea of when to raise a concern why it's important and and the resilience in terms of the process of going through that And in terms of the the conviction, which is what you're referring to at the moment, um, we found that students really struggle to believe that their role in raising concerns is valuable. Um, So in terms of what you're saying that, you know, well, will it change anything? And one of the biggest barriers we found in our survey to um, students raising concerns was that they felt it was futile, i.e. it wouldn't change anything. Um, So I think that fundamentally needed to be addressed. And what you were saying there in terms of, well, you know, is, is this just what always happens? Will it really make a difference? Should I really do anything about it? Those are all questions that really need to be addressed on this topic early on so that you're not questioning that when you see a situation like that and you know 
what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And you get the feedback as well, because that was another area that we felt was lacking so that you know that if you do do something about it, well, actually, how is that going to change the organisation or the process or whatever it is that you're talking about? Yeah, because um, I think, Anisha, we were talking about, um, you know, when it comes to raising concerns, um, you probably let the reg to raise the clinical concerns and you raise concerns that some uh, on something that you're probably more familiar with. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the NHS culture. As an F1, when you're first joining, that's your first, you know, experience of being part of the NHS culture. Mm. So in a way, I think that positive NHS culture can be a double-edged sword because on one side, you know, you want to feel part of the team, you want to fit in, you want to join the ward rounds and grand rounds and you don't really want to kick up a fuss, you just want to sit, mm. you know, and do your job properly and if everything goes smoothly every day that's great but on the other hand that you know it makes you more reluctant to raise a concern because you know I don't particularly want to attract attention to myself in a negative mm. light firstly secondly I'll probably assume that I'm the one who is doing something wrong you know if I see you know a senior nurse or a senior doctor doing something this way I'll just fit in the mold and go ahead with it mm. most likely or I want to do that you know probably you know you mentioned the three c's i probably won't have the courage to do it the other way or do it the way i was perhaps taught at medical school or taught in an induction lecture um so yeah it, it, it can be difficult to navigate that at the start of your career um and i also think because we're on such short rotations four month rotations the chances of seeing a concern go through to the end are very slim. So, you know, most of the days I probably don't think my concern would go anywhere or reach a kind of productive end goal. So why kind of bother? Unless it's obvious, obviously, unless it's, you know, directly affecting clinical care right there and then obviously you will take action mm. and that the action will most likely be escalating to a reg. Um because that's that's the job of an F1. Um, Natasha, I saw you nodding there. Is this something that kind of resonate with what you found in your research as well, especially with um, the courage part? I mean, 100%. I think what Anisha summarised there is very much the culture within the NHS. And I think as medical students, you're exposed to the clinical environment now from the very beginning. And any of the sort of patterns within it, the behaviours... And, and we talk about the word culture, but I mean, in, in the research that we did, there were medical students talking about, you know, offensive humour being part of medical banter or mm. it being a rite of passage. The other thing that Anisha talked about was, you know, that, that fear of repercussions and, and the idea mm. of it affecting your future career. Um, and that was a huge concern that came out um, as well in terms of the courage section in our research. Um, the idea that someone else will do it as well and that comes back to the mm. you know your value as a medical student in raising a concern really that actually well there's so many of us and there's so many people that are senior to us so surely someone else will just you know do it instead um or or even just peer pressure it might be that actually um you know the person that or or situation that you're raising concerns about nobody else feels the same way and then you, you lack that pillar of support that we referred to earlier um, that you sometimes need in those uncertain situations. So, yes, I think Anish has touched upon most of the areas that came out. And 
And I think that really demonstrates that as a medical student, you often feel a lot of the same feelings that our junior doctor cohort feel. Um, mm. And it really isn't that different because you're exposed to the same environments. Mm. Um, so why shouldn't you be feeling the same way? What's really shocking in listening to all of this is that those, those fears and those concerns are prevalent in both of those areas so within medical students and junior doctors. And that's really what has to change if the raising concerns um, you know, world is going to change and improve. Regarding peer pressure as well, I think another way of looking at peer pressure as well as the nature of most clinical people, I think, is to be empathetic, you know, and to sympathise with our co-workers. You know, people might be just having a bad day. Mm. Um, I think it's our nature to kind of immediately assume that all kind of give someone the benefit of the doubt mm. I think um so you're more likely to just ignore it or wait for the second time something along those lines um which again that's not good mm. but that's something that probably needs to be tackled um in a way that doesn't make you feel too guilty to raise concerns so again probably that process just needs to be brought to light a little bit more and perhaps not become such a huge deal um you know to raise can raise a concern um otherwise things will just go under the under the wrong not be noticed because you know someone out of the goodness of their heart decided okay it's fine she's just having a bad day or you know Mm. he's having a rough time at home um and if it's less of a huge big deal then concerns can be raised a bit more lightly Mm. um yeah We have tabs at the end mm. of each rotation. And at the end of my first, I think it's team-based assessment feedback, some team assessment-based feedback. Essentially, mm. the team you're working with for your clinical rotation, everyone gives you feedback. Mm. So you pick 10 to 15 people to give you feedback. And I got great feedback, you know, five stars. Anisha was amazing. And it's anonymized, so you don't know who did it. Mm. But someone had said I was... um unapproachable just one comment <laughs> the whole the whole <laughs> the whole tab uh-huh. and just that small comment really bothered me oh. it's been eight months <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh. any sort of small criticism in a, mm. a small team you're working with can can feel like a hit so that's why raising just a small concern about someone can in that clinical environment feel like a betrayal because you're working with each other every day mm. um and again raising concerns it tends to be anonymous anyway and you don't really find out you know who raised the concern mm. um but again i don't think you can escape the fact that raising concern tends to be negative um mm. it is the nature of, of raising a concern there's no point sugarcoating it um mm. Yeah, yeah, but I guess I think the- you've um, you've raised two really valid points there. One was around feedback. Actually, you said that the tabs process was essentially a feedback process, and I do a lot of work on feedback as well. And feedback is a real skill, and it can be done appropriately or inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And I think if it isn't done in an 
appropriate way. So, for instance, you had that one, it wasn't even a comment, it was just a word, unapproachable. There's no evidence, there's no backing, there's no, Mm. this is the example to support the word I'm saying, Uh, let's discuss it further. Um, You know, any of that or any sort of support then from the educational supervisor to say, do you want to talk about it? Can you think of an example? And I think if that feedback process isn't there, absolutely what you find is that you can give somebody you know, nine compliments and one maybe slightly negative thing and they will focus on that negative thing. And that's what the research (laughs) has shown as well. And that's exactly what's happened here. Um, And so I think in a way, it's almost the feedback process that needs to be Address so that you know you can understand it might have just been that you were having a really busy shift at that point mm. and a nurse might have wanted something signed off and you were just running around like a headless chicken and then you're like oh okay now I understand why that happened that's fine you know I'm not completely unapproachable in every situation or whatever it might be <laughs> um, but it, it needs to be sort of embedded in that process um, but the other thing that you mentioned which was really key was um, you were talking about uh, the the raising concerns process itself and you're you're absolutely right you know we as doctors but also as medical students have a duty as per the GMC to raise a Mm. concern Um, now that's a huge statement to put out there for you know big organization like the GMC and I think as organizations you then have a responsibility to follow up on that if you're Mm. going to put that statement out there which I think is a very valid statement to make and in terms of patient safety which is paramount to all of us it makes sense but then you're right you have to create that supportive environment Mm. and you have to really encourage people to engage and within the NHS changing that that culture as you say is really hard and it's really got to come from the bottom up um and and really if it's coming from the bottom up it's got to start from medical school then because as you say you know if you're coming through medical school and you're still feeling this way Anisha then Mm. then you know we need to go back a step and and we need to address it from the beginning so that you guys coming through um can really create that change in culture um because it's not going to happen otherwise We'll discuss a little bit more about raising concerns, but they'll be right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. So why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. Something I noticed on the ward and even on um, social media in general, you know how people can raise concerns with using Datex, uh, the system. So for our listeners who may not know what Datex is, Datex is a system that people can use to report incidents that could potentially produce unexpected or unwanted effects. And, you know, I've seen Datex just being kind of thrown around as a threat, um, you know, sometimes. Um, Do you think Datex is being used as a threat instead of an instrument for positive change? I have never, I think I've had to Datex one thing, which mm-hmm. I did 
couple of months ago and I actually don't remember what it was anymore to be honest <laughs> with you and I think that says a lot about the datex <laughs> process um I think most people have probably had more negative interactions with datex in the sense that you've had people threatening you with oh if you don't do this EDN I'll datex this or if I, you don't do this I'll you know, I'll datex you which isn't supposed to be what datex is for at all mm. um and to be honest speaking completely honestly with you if, if a consultant or someone says this needs datexing in ward round in the morning and that's one of the jobs to do that's the one that no one wants to do <laughs> i don't mm. really want to sit there and have to go through the entire form of datex mm. which is just associated with ironically it's associated not it's not associated with positive change anymore i think um but i do know it I do know how it works and I do know ultimately it does help um, mm. but on the day-to-day on the ward-to-ward kind of the ward culture is that Datex isn't directly associated with change it just seems to be the out outlet for anything going wrong um, no one seems to logically know why this should be Datexed um, or what the outcome will be of this incident being Datexed that's really fascinating to hear, actually. Um, I, in answer to your original question, Pat, the, I've certainly come across many cases where junior doctors have said to me, I've been threatened with a datex from a colleague um, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and in some cases it has instilled fear and resulted in them doing whatever was threatened. In other cases, people have challenged it and said, fine, do a datex. Um, but ultimately, as Anisha said, that's not the purpose of the datex. Um, it's part of the raising concerns process, and it it should create that environment where people can safely, knowingly um, mm. allow themselves to raise a concern um, and create change ultimately for patient safety. Mm. And so I. The reason I found it so fascinating, Anisha, was that obviously people are recognising that the process is there. You've obviously had teaching on it. Um, and what was really interesting was you said, well, you know, in my list of like jobs uh, on my F1 list, if that was on there, I mean, <laughs> we're all sort of drawing straws as to who's going to do it. And I just <laughs> wondered what what was it that made all of you so reluctant to fill out the data X? Probably a... Maybe it's my excitement of being an F1. I like more clinical activities. Um, I like patients. I like my job. Mm. Um, but B, sometimes I, I the, the the kind of limited experience I've had doing a day tech. Some of it I didn't understand exactly what to put, or you know which person I should put this goes to, or why are these three other people being cc'd into this email. Um, what impact will it have on me or the you know exact amount of detail I should go into with the incident that happened. Sometimes I can see that um, a doctor or nurse has been asked to datex something that they weren't actually involved in. It's just happened mm. on the ward, but they've been given the job to datex it. So that's confusing as well. Mm. And more often than not, I find that if someone's been allocated the datex job, they don't actually know where datex is. Um, the start of every conversation of datex it, it goes it starts with someone asking where is datex how do i find datex um, and that takes up 10 minutes of the datex doing time so yeah so that i mean that just uh, answers i think most junior doctors uh, queries around datex in terms of the process and you're right i remember mm. going through my junior doctor years and it took me a while before i'd even heard of the datex let alone 
where to find it and how to fill it in. And, and I think that's a huge problem. If you're going to give people a portal or form on which to raise a concern, mm. they have to know, one, where to find it, but two, how to use it, where it goes. I mean, it should be part of, you know, trust induction meetings along with all our fire safety and everything else. Um, you know, basically, where is this form going? Who reads it? Mm. And who are the people that read it? And can they actually, you know, come and attend the induction? So you, you see a face, you see a person in this large mm. organisation. Um, and I think that really helps. Um, and then they can say, well, actually, yeah, the form comes to me and this is what I do with it. And this is what happens with it. Um, and this is the kind of information I want on it. And or, or it doesn't matter if you can't fill it all in or whatever it might be. Um, mm. But you have to be able to to understand the process, know the process and know who it's going to. And then what happens after <laughs> after it's gone to that yeah. person? Um, mm. Because otherwise you're not, again, going to be invested in it. Why, why would you be? You're right. You love your clinical work and your job. Um, and that's mm. where your focus is going to be. So you mentioned earlier in the episode that um, you think that should be a, like a bottom-up cultural change. Say, for example, if a medical student or a young doctor now has seen something that they feel like they should raise concerns, what kind of tips would you give them so we can reassure them that everything is okay, that you know, this, you're doing the right thing? Yeah, that's a really good question and one that I've certainly been asked on a number of occasions. Essentially, I think in those moments of uncertainty, we talked about those pillars of support. And I think the first thing you want to do is find that support. Um, so whether it's your peers whether it's colleagues on the ward, whether it's an educational supervisor, whether it's a consultant, you know, whoever it might be, talk to someone, talk to someone about it and talk it through um, because that increases confidence. It also allows you to find out information about where to go next. Um, so it's a bit like a clinical problem. You know, what do we do if we can't solve a clinical problem? We talk to people and we find out. Same thing. And once you've got that support and that confidence and you know where to go with it it mm. it i mean it's almost done for you then um then you're like okay well now you have to decide whether you're going to move forward or not and any fears um, or questions that you have about the process can hopefully be answered by one of those pillars of support so if it's not your peers it's the the supervisor if it's not the supervisor it's the consultant or whatever it might be um because hopefully you know as we've traveled through our careers in the nhs we've we've been through it and we can help support all of you as, as you're coming through those questions as well mm. um but I, that would be my tip find those pillars of support um and and find out about the process and the rest almost just falls into place yeah these are really good tips um i'll um do a summary and put it in the show notes as well yeah how about you anisha have you got any tips on um, raising concerns or kind of addressing the fears that um, medical students or young doctors may have when they raise a concern? I think it's it's really difficult as a junior doctor because more often than not, and depending on the nature, on your, your own nature, for example, my own nature as a junior doctor is I don't always assume I know everything. Mm. I'm, you know, I know I'm still learning Um so just getting over the barrier, that courage barrier, is mm. extremely difficult. Um, I don't want to cause kind of any chaos or um, 
a lot of the time I don't want someone else to get in trouble mm-hmm. for something that maybe they did as a mistake. Uh, for example, the the thing you mentioned about gloves at the start, you know, there have been times where you see someone not wearing gloves or repeatedly kind of doing examinations without gloves or masks. Um, and it's difficult to know whether that is enough to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes into the comprehension side of your three Cs as well. Um, it's difficult to know whether what you're seeing can be raised um because if you're if you're you know a medical student or a junior doctor again you're probably going to doubt your knowledge um but I think at that point if you feel have a gut feeling and you think okay something seems a bit off um maybe I wouldn't want to be the person doing that um or I wouldn't want to be the patient who was having that done to them mm. I think what Natasha mentioned about just talking to peers, um, whether that's an SHO or an F2, who's probably more on your level, so you're more likely, you know, you feel comfortable talking to them. You can just discuss it with someone mm. um, and have that conversation that doesn't necessarily involve seniors or um, someone of a different part of the MTT team so you don't have to you know talk about it with a nurse or someone else you can you know talk about with your F2 talk about with your SHO see what they say Mm. Um, and that gives you a bit more confidence in your own remit to then bring it up and maybe the F2 or the SHO also wants to bring it up as well and then you've Mm. got yourself a team um, just to discuss it with someone a bit more senior and I think just building up step by step um, makes the process a little less grand I think and you know what at the end of the day say what you suggested or the concern that you raised say that wasn't that big of a deal um and it didn't need raising now you know now you know for the future that you don't need to raise that maybe next time or actually if it happened this way then you could raise it and it'd probably be easier to look at it as more of a learning experience um and if you didn't try to raise that concern then again you've just you know you've lost a learning experience and the whole point of f1 f2 is to be learning so if you look at it from that way yeah it's probably a more positive way of looking at raising concerns as a learning experience Mm -hmm. and again as an f1 and f2 no one's going to be yelling at you and saying why did you raise this why did you raise that logically speaking again i'm logically looking at this when i'm in that situation i can i know it's going to be tough to bring it up um that's the whole point of being a trainee yeah, that's a really fair point. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, Anisha, I think you touched on a, a really valid point there, that there isn't always one process. So I know we touched upon Datex, but you can raise a concern with a supervisor or with a consultant. And that's often sometimes as far as it goes, depending on the nature of the concern. And then they're able to speak to or discuss things or change things accordingly. Um, so there isn't always one process involved. Um and you mentioned a, a really interesting point and you said, I'm, I'm an F1, I'm a junior doctor, I'm still learning, I don't know everything, so I need to ask. And I think the real point there is, so do I. I've been working in the NHS for over a decade, I certainly don't know everything mm-hmm. and I can guarantee you that neither do I <laughs> to my consultant <laughs> colleagues. Um, And most of us, if not all of us, would happily admit that you are always, we are always still learning and none of us know everything at any point, um, particularly in the field of medicine and even in the world of raising concerns. So 
that's really where the value of you, Pat, as a medical student and you, Anisha, as a junior doctor is exactly the same as anybody else in the NHS organisation because nobody knows everything and everyone is still learning. That's reassuring to hear. Yeah. (laughs) If there was one thing that you would change on the ground, say on the ward, what would that be? That's a really annoying question to ask. I I would go a step back from that. I would, as I say, go to the induction. I would catch mm. everyone at their induction, yeah. whether it's the junior doctors coming in, whether it's new registrars coming in, whether it's new members of the MDT coming in, because it's not just doctors in the NHS. Um, and that's where I would target mm. all this information. Um, because unless it's done at the start, it's not going to make a difference. And so if we can't target it at medical school, then we target at induction for everyone. Mm. And I would put a face to that induction. So, you know, it's not just a series of PowerPoint slides. You know, you get your uh, medical director in, you get your nursing director in, um, you get your... How many of you have ever met the managers that work in the NHS trust? get them in show them <laughs> yeah. who yeah and and i think if you can put a face to those people you're more likely to mm. engage with them it's mm. interesting how um i think trusts really promote quality improvement a lot mm-hmm. you know you know who your quality improvement leaders mm. and you know quality improvement and raising concerns are kind of two sides of the same coin i guess so if you could put you know raising concerns lead in the same position and have those same induction lectures then they would, you know, they'd be on the same priority in everyone's head, mm. I think. Um, or you make this a quality improvement project. Yeah. Change the induction. Um, yeah. And oh, it would that's be an, true. It would be an excellent quality yeah. improvement project. I, I highly recommend it. Go for it. For anyone what? listening, if you need an idea for your next QIP, this could be the one. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yeah, because I thought this would be compulsory in um, inductions, kind of um, like raising concerns, or is it optional? I think it is compulsory. The problem with inductions is there's so many. Everything blurs into one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it is addressed. But again, I don't think things like Datex, or, mm. you know, you, no one goes through step-by-step where to find it, what to put in it. Mm. Um and again, there's no clear instructions or even how raising concerns works, what happens at the end, or maybe just successful examples of raising concerns that might have happened in the trust. That might be nice to just incorporate in, just to know what happens. I think you're right, Anisha, the, the induction process isn't as comprehensive as it could be. But in answer to your original question of what you could do if you could change one thing on the ward, perhaps, again, another QI idea... Um, you put a laminated one side of A4 on the ward saying, if you have a concern, here's a step-by-step process of what you do. Talk to your peers, Mm. raise it with this person. And then maybe have one person that, you know, you go to with a photo of them so everyone knows what they look like. Um, Mm. And and that might help as well. That's a good idea. Yeah, starting in your own department. It'd be nice if every department had a doctor that can, a senior doctor that can kind of cushion you for raising concerns mm. um, or kind of like a go-to person to ask about things yeah they... yeah i mean then the issue would be if they did something that you know you could you know, just because i'm just thinking the higher up you get 
um, in a way, again, it's the courage aspect, but you just, you don't ideally don't want to be raising concerns because you don't mm. want to be that person. Um, and you don't want your colleagues to kind of turn their back on you because you did. So it'd be nice if you had a senior doctor in each department that would just be there no matter mm. what, if you did decide to raise a concern. I think, Ideally, yeah. that should be your consultant or supervisor. Yeah, that should be, um, yeah. So that role already... Exists. Theoretically exists. Um, it just then depends on building that relationship with them and how engaged both parties are in that relationship. Yeah, yeah because I, I was doing some research for this um, episode. There's a person, I think it's called like Freedom to Speak Up Guardian or something. Mm. Is it at each trust or each ward? I'm not sure... Um, yeah so that was following the you're absolutely right pat and it's a it's a again moving on from anisha's really valid point about having someone to speak to um, mm. and that came out of all the investigations into mid staffordshire and following the mm. francis report um and they decided to have that um freedom to speak up guardian in each trust but again i mean i, I could say anisha do you know who yours is no i don't know who my freedom to speak up guardian is um <laughs> Maybe that's why I thought I organically came up with the idea of a freedom to speak up guardian. <laughs> just because I think, you know, in that moment, you're just, you're, you're so scared. I don't want to miss opportunities. I don't want to miss this, that. Just because I said one thing about someone one time. You don't want to, like, jeopardise your career. and Career. And you were mentioning, you know, like, you need to work with people who are going to sign off your ward-based assessments and things, like, for exactly. medical students as well. And you know what? Our, your clinical supervisor and educational supervisor are the ones that sign you off for things. Mm. Um, so raising that concern can just feel like, you know, a mountain that maybe you just don't need to climb, maybe just leave it. Mm. But again... I think that's a really rational fear that you've got and one that's shared across... Um, the well medical students and junior doctors and you're right it is that fear of not being able to progress in your career that often holds most people back alongside the the futility of the process and it is the hope that there are enough senior people around such that if it's not your supervisor it's a consultant a registrar an F2 if you're an F1 you know your peers and colleagues around you whatever it might be it might even be a senior nurse it doesn't have to be somebody in the medical profession mm. um, specifically that you can simply have a cup of tea with and discuss with them and that can hopefully allay some of those fears and answer some of those questions and improve that confidence and that courage um, so it it doesn't have to be such a complicated, fearful process. Um, hopefully just a, a cup of tea with the right person can help improve courage and the situation. Yeah, that sounds like a nice way to go about it. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of that Facebook group, maybe like TN Empathy. Maybe TN Empathy is all you need for yeah. Um, yeah. to go about this. Oh, it makes me want to raise concerns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to get a tea break. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I need to raise my concern now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for those tips and thank you for joining us today.
Yeah, and that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to hear other episodes, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts, and in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. You can also get in touch with us by following us on social media. We are BMJ Student on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating or a review on wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other med students to find the show. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Thank you for listening, and it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.